Welcome back, everybody, to the Blank Sutra Podcast. My name is Cameron Dorsey. Um, joined, as always, by my lovely co-host, Carlos Reyes. Carlos, how you doing? What's up? Tremendous. Um, so, tonight, in the studio, we have another banger of a guest, folks. Uh, truly a treasure uh, for him to be here. He is uh, the bass player of the Tampa Bay area. He plays in Rojoma, Ant Hill Cinema, Christopher James Band, just to name a few. I'll probably play in your band, too, as long as the check don't bounce. Um, he is the man, the myth, the legend, Vinny Svoboda. Vinny, how you doing, bro? <laughs> Some introduction, man. Hey, that's what I do. Vinny's in the house. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You're doing good. Man, that made me smile. Superman does good. You do well, brother. <laughs> Which one's is, I've, I've, the Superman one's better, right? Yeah. I'm, okay. I guess so. I, I'm. Yeah. I I just always like to use that. It's from it's from Thirty Rock. I told you about the pop oh, culture shit. thing, man. Oh yeah, like, true, true, true. Ah <laughs> oh, man, it's a pleasure to have you here, dude. Likewise, man. I'm I'm smiling right now. As this much is as dope. as much as you're excited, I'm excited, dude. Because I've seen you for fucking ever in the St. Pete area playing music and teaching the youth, <laughs> as some would say, uh, the the magical force that is music. Um, where where were you born? and Where did you grow up? Um, here, let me adjust the mic so I can look at you while I'm talking. Gotcha. Get comfy. <sighs> He's got an Adidas bucket hat on over the headphones. It's right escaping. Now. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's a good look. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying some stuff, you know. <laughs> uh, I was born in Germany. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not from this country. Where in Germany? Karlsruhe, uh, Germany. So southwest. It's like right on the French border. We're like 15 minutes away. Dude. Oh, damn. Yeah. How long were you there? Only like four years. Like I... I moved to America when I was about four. That's a decent oh, okay. amount of time, though. There was there was a point where I was bilingual. Yeah, as, you know, as a as a four year old. Yeah. So like the the knowledge of language wasn't super high, but there it, were there were two languages happening. Yeah, dude, that's that's high brain functionality for a dual citizenship, right? I was dual citizen until I was eighteen, mm. and then mm. I, I think my law knowledge might be wrong on that, but I I, I think I had to pick. Right, At 18. yeah, later on. And uh, I picked American. Oh, yeah, okay. Did you, so like, man, how much, how much of a, do you think if you went to Germany now, you could make it, make it around easy? It There would be some struggles, for sure. Um, I got like everyday language down. By down, I mean it's broken and you can tell I'm not from there. Yeah. But it's, uh. The natives would be like, "Oh, he's trying. Cool." Uh, yeah, it's like it's like at that level. Any any anywhere you go, I think if you as long as you make an attempt, people yeah. are going to be cool with it. Um, the thing about that language, man, is like the, I don't know if it's subject verb agreement, but some things are just in different orders. The sentence structure is weird. I took German in high school, and took two years of it, and that was the thing that tripped me up the most. Like, yeah, I knew the actual vocabulary, but someone like. The conjugations and the word and the sentence formations were just weird. Like the mm. the subject would come at the end, yeah. Sometimes and like it's kind of like with Spanish, how it's like flipped around a mm-hmm. bit with the the subject and the, which the it verbiage. makes it. I think if I would have um, became fluent when I was younger, 
I, uh, it wouldn't really phase me that much. But now that, you know, you're older and you've been speaking a language for so long that you're just so used to the syntax and how things are su- supposed to be mm-hmm. air quotes. Um, it's just kind of like a old dog, new tricks sort of thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the, and the, you're kind of, uh, testing the new language against yeah you're constantly trying to relate it back and it just doesn't work and then so we go there pretty often because my my dad is the only one in america from germany so the rest of his family my whole other side of the family is over there so we try to go like every couple years Mm. flights and stuff gets expensive oh yeah um so every time i go over there um my sister and i were like all right bust out the duolingo let's go yeah and it kind of doesn't help because (laughs) not not only is the general language really complex but there's different dialects all over the place Mm. um so the state that we're from is uh baden-württemberg which has a badish accent do they say grustisch i don't even know what that means oh it's i thought that's it's a greeting oh um grustisch D should be like you, right? Yeah. What is gross? Gross. Because because there's gross, which is like big or large. Mm. So like big U. I get it. it's G. I know it's G R U and then the S set. Oh okay. So it's gross. I, sh- I should know that. Nah, this. I'm just. Doesn't I'm, it go by Deutschland? Yeah. Like in there, while the Americans call it just Germany. Germany. Oh, yeah. Mm. There's a bunch of weird ones. Like um, like Cologne. Germany is Köln. K O with the umlauts L N. Oh, the okay. or like um, Munich is München. Ah, oh, shit. Oh yeah, like uh, in Mün- in München state Einhofbräuhaus. Yeah, ah, it's fine <laughs> so far. Sure, is now, this a thing? That's it's a drinking song. Oh, okay. You're it's saying a lot more in German. I know, man. I only know the word Kinder. These are fragments that are coming back to me from my ninth and tenth grade year, but. Uh, what do you do when you go over there? Uh, it's mostly just hanging out with the grandparents, um, seeing cousins and stuff. Um, we've gone back so many times that there there isn't really a lot of uh, sightseeing in the the close proximity. We've just mm. kind of seen everything, you know. You ever hit up Berlin just to like? Say I've, what's I've up? actually never been to Berlin. Uh, Berlin's probably about a six hour drive from Damn. where. Oh, I didn't realize it was that big. It's it's kind of, eh, I mean. It's one of the bigger places in Europe, right? I don't know by comparison. I know that it like the, it like fits in Texas or something. What? So it's like not True. that big. Maybe it's not six hours. Maybe it's like four. I don't know. Even so. Because also the Autobahn over there kind of changes your, like here, St. Pete is half an hour away from Tampa. Okay. If we had the Autobahn, probably a hot 17 minutes, you know? Oh, yeah. Because that's, that's. Cause there's no speed the, limit. That's the wasteland up there. Like you can just flame on that thing right yeah have you driven on it not me personally but my dad has because i mean he's he born and raised there so he has german driver's license that whole thing are you encouraged to just rip on that thing i don't know man i'm it kind of scares me to be <laughs> <honest>. <laughs> it seems like it'd be kind of scary dude like they, they engineer their cars so well i guess maybe you don't feel it as much that is a thing so every time we go over there like the luxury cars that you would consider luxury here like a little bit more normal over there, like like higher end, mid to higher end BMWs, um, Mercedes Benz. Yes, mm. all those cars. Um, they're a little bit easier to get, and they're not as expensive as they are here because they're not considered imports. They're not there. foreign. Oh. Yeah, they're just they're just there. Uh, 
Whereas flip that around, you don't really see a lot of like Ford pickup trucks and oh, stuff no? like that. Yeah, I wouldn't right. imagine. I, I yeah, imagine it's, that's kind of interesting. But we get a decent class car, decent to nice car, and um, we always try to break the record on the Autobahn, our personal record. What's the personal record I as think, it stands? Um, I always see it in kilometers. So I think the highest we've gone in kilometers is like 265. So maybe that's 120. Yeah, it's like half-ish, right? Like kilometers. Quarter, to... Yeah. I want to do a little check real quick. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Um, what you said, 260. I think it's over 100 miles an hour. That we like. Not just like 103, 105. I think it was, it's a considerable amount over. But the, the point of that being with the engineering, you don't feel it. 161 miles per hour. Yeah. That Dang. sounds about right. That is, that's flying. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I can't imagine going 160. Wow. Um, it's like going through the causeway. Yeah, dude. Here. That's insane. Do you, do you, does any of the, your German lineage show up in the customs of your household as you've grown up? Does it, um, big time. Really? Yeah. In what ways? Um, a little bit of decoration. Like uh, we have a, a Stein collection, you know, like that little space in your kitchen or any rooms that it's like a shelf that's like super high. Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to put things Above the you, cupboards. And yeah, exactly. They're just like full of Steins. Oh, that's um, cool. Hmm. That's cool as hell. And how is the traveling, like once you're over there in Germany, uh, that you can hop over to like the next neighbor country you is it is it easy easier that way since you're already there and i think something with like the european union or is it completely uh, um, a bit more different so when we when we go there as a family we're only the only other country we go to usually is france because there's this one restaurant there that we've been eating at ever since i was alive and we, we have a joke because like we always the the host there that seats us has been the same dude. That's crazy. <laughs> Ever since like I was a baby going there. That's cool. He's always so. the one that seats us. Dude. Um, so that's the only other country we we travel to when we're there. But uh, as a graduation present from high school, uh, me and a couple friends went to Germany um, and the UK. So we did take um, a Eurorail system, which oh. was actually pretty easy to like navigate through that. Damn. And so they, the whole thing. They don't like stop you and they're like, papers, please? Is that? Uh, I mean, there, like, there's a little bit of that. You know, you got to have your passport and everything. Cool. But uh, side question is that French restaurant good? Like French dude, cuisine, is it? It's pretty good. Okay. I bet. Well, we go there for this thing called um, Flammkuchen, okay. which is like, um, it's kind of like a really thin pizza. I can't remember what the ingredients are, but it's not like really doughy, bready, but there's a lot of, a lot of cheese in there. And like these little like ham bits, maybe. I don't know. It's just it's real. That's that sounds, like why we go there. That sounds very nice, dude. At a French restaurant? Yeah, that's so cool. They're they're right on the French uh, German border. Okay. So the the menu is in both languages. They're working with two audiences. Yeah, it's okay. kind of like I have never been to Canada, but I've heard that like French Canadian, they're maybe it's a law thing. They have to have both English and in, French. In like Quebec, yeah. Yeah, certain. Pro- provinces that's the word there you go yeah dude that's that's awesome as hell so like beer steins above the cupboard what other customs have made their way into the uh, svoboda household is svoboda german uh i think the roots of it are czech okay yeah i was i was wondering not, um, not an umlaut in sight on that name you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> we do have a couple consonances that shouldn't be together though yeah, okay. sv <laughs> there you go there you go 
Um, I'm trying to think. There's a. Uh, it's really the, the. I guess I would say like the overall just like organization and layout. Like everything had a place. The house is never cluttered. Nice. Which I think that's just like a. That's a definitely a my dad thing, and I definitely have that in myself now. Okay. Where it's like my house will not have a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Dude. That's in random places. I just. And it kind of uh, influences. I have, I, have a, I have a sequence of when I do the dishes. But this kind of like goes into how I make my coffee. So do we want to go there? Or? Let's do it. Oh. oh, man. Quick side. Okay. It's not that fancy. Give us your morning routine. Well, th- this happens at night. <laughs> okay. This is the thing. Like coffee at night? Yeah. Man, you, you weren't ready for that plot twist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I use a French press. And I, make, I have a little electric kettle to heat the water. While the water is heating, I will do the dishes that I have done, that I've made that day. And the timing is usually right. Dishes are done. Kettle pops. Get the French press. Put the coffee in there. Pour the coffee and put it in the fridge. So I have, quote unquote, iced coffee the next morning. Wow. All in one swoop. Holy shit. And it's like percolating with the, with the beans in oh, the it's French great. press. That's, yeah, yeah. That's fine. Yeah, if you pour it in at like kind of an angle hitting the wall, it like starts to swirl in there dude, i'm gonna start i'm gonna have to steal that routine it's dude. pretty good that's a, that's a decent evening to morning routine yeah i, I went the french press route because i had a keurig for a while um actually tucker's fiance Les- leslie gave me her keurig and then like a couple years later she's like how's the keurig i'm like it's good she's like have you cleaned it i'm like what do you mean <laughs> she's like there's like a bunch of pipes inside like you need to clean that out or there's gonna be mold oh i was no. like oh i didn't even think about that so i did like white uh, white vinegar mm-hmm. that whole thing and I was like this is dumb yeah let me just get a french press <laughs> yeah yeah all that cleaning <laughs> maintenance for, and all <laughs> all that cleaning for such an impersonal cup of coffee too Ex- like, yeah you know I don't know there's there's a there's a twist because I used to have a french press too and that that was money dude it you can me, experiment with the beans yeah dude it made me feel high society yeah you know? <laughs> yeah it made, me, it made me feel luxurious mm-hmm. I still drink my coffee black so there's nothing fancy about it you but don't put nothing no Black and cold. Yep. No sweet or anything. In no. Is that kind of like a German thing or from your, your father? Just black coffee or in the household? No. Not, and not, they put like creamer and stuff in there. I, yeah, so I don't know. I it's, just It's a Vinny thing. I guess so, yeah. Vinny signature. That's sick. <laughs> just black coffee. Just, That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Vinny thing, dude. Yeah. Um. So like of your parents... Did either of them play music? Did either of them have a musical background? Did you have any other relatives that were musicians that made you into the uh, audiophile and musician you are today? Were there any precursors to that? Uh, yeah, my dad played bass. Um, growing up, he was in a bunch of... Uh, b- both my parents are metalheads. Um, I'm, oh, I'm, named after, I'm named after Vince Neil from Motley Crue. So Bro, yeah. dude, that's yeah. cool. I was almost... A Nicholas for Nikki Six, the bass player of Motley Crue, but they went with Vince. Nice. Um, so he was a bass player, and he grew up doing like the hair metal thing. So that's that's kind of his his roots of of playing. Um, his all time favorite bands are like Judas Priest, Iron Maiden. He's a big Motorhead fan too. Mm-hmm. So like that that sort of vibe. Uh, big Kiss fan as well. I think that's his all time favorite band. Actually, is Kiss. That's sick, man. Gene um, Simmons. Yeah. So yeah, he. Um, I, I grew up like going to some of his shows. We lived in uh, uh, Virginia Beach for mm. 13 years. And um, at that time when I was growing up, 
uh, Pantera was really big. So the band he was in was kind of of that vein, kind of like squarely in the mid '90s, like that sort of rock. Yeah, yeah, dude. Kind of like grunge is kind of on its way out a little bit, and things are getting like a little bit, a little bit heavier, a little bit darker, a little bit more groove oriented. That's looking back now. That's kind of what I take away from it is like Pantera grooves so much harder than Nirvana does. You know what I mean? Definitely. Way harder. Like the syncopation, it's like almost breakdown-ish. No, for sure, for sure. At the at the end of Walk as the outro's happening and it breaks the down. Halftime the halftime thing? The halftime thing is sick. Yeah. Dude. And uh ka, 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 do, 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 Yeah. Ka, ka. Yeah. Um I hear them also in uh in Avenged Sevenfold a lot. I used to be a big Avenged Sevenfold fan myself in like uh, middle school, high school. Mm-hmm. And they were almost like a Pantera clone. And yeah. The the they groove like they they're definitely like straight ahead um sort of like that um um yeah that that that, that shit for sure but every now and then they can kind of like drop it into some nasty like ooh okay yeah like stank face inducing mm-hmm. sort of grooves <laughs> Do, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay yeah yeah dude um so your your dad was the um musician did did you sort of like find him as a, as a hero enough to where you're like i want to play bass and or did it start with bass or did it start with some other instrument it started with violin actually oh, violin's yeah. my first yeah. instrument um and i'm i'm so glad that this happened but I've, I've thought about it recently of like man if my school didn't have a strings program i don't know if i'd be playing music so in fifth grade or starting fifth grade we had like i think in florida it's called the wheel something mm-hmm. like that but you go through each different uh, yeah in elective. in Virginia it was they give you the different options but that's just like what you do there's no you don't have like two weeks on and off of, of doing different things so I can't even remember what the other options are but I was like strings sounds sounds cool my dad plays music uh, you know yeah 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 not Don't really know. thinking anything about it and then um I I don't know if if the teacher was like you need to play violin because all the other instruments were taken it was. It was your, it was violin, cello, viola. I feel like there wasn't bass there because of just the size of the kids. Maybe there was a bass, acoustic bass is huge. Yeah, mm. like double bass. Um, but we picked violin and then the music teacher gave us a recommendation of where to rent violins at. And so we did. And um, I remember like the first moments of like touching that. It's the first instrument I've ever touched, you know. Of like plucking the strings and being like, is it four? There's like four tone. Like that's it. Like not <laughs> not really even knowing that you can put your hand on it and slide to get oh, different really? notes. I was just like, man, this is crazy. How many sounds these people make? <laughs> <laughs> How do they do that? Yeah, yeah. dude. How just old were you at out. that time? I was about nine or ten. Okay, cool, cool. And you just stuck with it. Um, is that where your your ability to read notation came from? I yes. assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How when did you start reading? Um, it was it was in that strings class. Okay, because I remember we had the um, I think they're called essential elements books. Hell yeah, brother! And I remember we I don't know why we were in the cafeteria for this, but we were in the cafeteria for the class. And I remember just being so scared because we were working on the pages where the the letters inside the note heads were starting to like disappear, like you don't know what letter it is now. Like you what? have to know like uh, where on the staff it yeah, is. Taking the training yeah. wheels off. Exactly. And yeah. I was like, oh, 
And it was only like certain notes, I think. Mm. Like they would give you some and not give you others to kind of teach you like, just look up and down, know your ABCs, you got this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But sure. I was like, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Did you take any sweet solos? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. you know, a bunch of fifth graders playing violins. It sounds like cats dying. Some, sque- <laughs> <laughs> Some squeaky, squeaky stuff, man. Dude, that's cool. And I, I remember you said you were an orc dork. How how long did that go? Like the entire schooling? Was that um yeah beginning to end? Um yeah, actually. Um I played violin until I think seventh or eighth grade. Um and then I specifically remember in we our middle school orchestra teacher, her name was Miss Price. She was so mean. <laughs> but now that I teach, I'm like, I can't even imagine what you were dealing with because I only teach one on one. Like you're dealing with a bunch of middle schoolers, of course you're gonna be mean. You're just snapping at people. Sometimes. Yeah, but she was a Breaking she was a, a professional violinist and um so she like knew her stuff and so her mm. her um I guess uh what would the word be? Expectation was really high of these kids. Because I find that in myself now, too, with with my students. But anyway, I remember we were starting to learn three octave major scales. And I was like, it was at that point that I was out. I'm like, I'm not playing violin anymore. Because what what happens with that is you you have to use all four strings. And on your highest string, you have to shift up into this kind of high-ish position. And it's really hard to get that in tune. Yeah, it's it's not quite because there's like a you know how there's like twelfth fret on a mm-hmm. guitar and bass. There is that harmonic on violin as well. So mm-hmm. it's that on violin would be a high E. So we're going to C, which is a little bit below that. But the point is, there's like there's a shift happening, and I'm like, this is getting too hard. I got you. I have to be in like different positions now. Nah, I'm good. Are you moving more laterally or vertically with those scales, or or are you just expected to know? All of it will be if for this scale in particular. All of it will be lateral until you're on the last string and then you have to you play what would it be yeah you move um your third to last note you have to move up and then play the uh, six seven eight for mm. the for like the last bit of that octave mm. and i was like yeah i'm out yeah, i'm not yeah. doing this it's, it's too hard if i want to do this for the rest of my life i just know it's going to get way harder and i already don't like it <laughs> <laughs> sorry miss price uh yeah carlos Vinny has perfect pitch did i believe you, that did you know that yeah, dude, dude, I believe that. When did that come about? And if this is a sore subject, we can move on. <laughs> Why would it be a sore subject? I don't know, because you got people like doors squeaking around you and they're like, what are those notes? <laughs> you know? Uh, kind of on that vein, I'm also colorblind and people do way more of that than the perfect pitch thing of like, oh, what color is this? Oh, I... <sighs> I don't know, man. Yeah, the I only obviously reason, don't know. The only reason why you know to call it green is because somebody told you that. That's kind of how I feel about shades in general. Vinny on some mm. red pill shit right here, <laughs> brother. Blowing minds, man. Oh, shit. But with the, the perfect pitch thing, I don't know exactly when it started. Um, I do remember there was a moment when um, I was bumping Hybrid Theory, Linkin Park. <sighs> My boy. And you oh, you know that. Every every morning Ooh, I would just bump it. Oh yes, sir. And um I remember dream. going to my mom, she was getting ready to take me to school and to go to work. And I was like I was already playing violin, so I kind of like knew note names and stuff. And I was like, 
I think there's an F sharp in here. I remember saying that. I can't. I can't remember what song it is now. Mm-hmm. But she was. She was probably saying something like, oh, "That's nice, honey. Like, <laughs> cool. <laughs> Go do your thing." Yeah. Yeah, dude. Oh man. But um, that just. That's like the first memory I have of it, I guess. And then, uh, I don't really. Yeah, I don't really know what the when it started or how it started. Did a music director ever wheel you out in front of the orchestra? And been like, yo, Vinny, let's, I think let's Ms. dial this in. I think Miss Price may have my middle school That's orchestra cool. teacher. Mm. That's gonna make you feel kind of cool back in those days. I I don't remember it. I I wish I had a better. Okay. It's, just a it's blank. all it's all really fuzzy. It's just kind of like a, it's always been there yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. So I don't really mm. know when it started. And what's interesting about that is I wonder if people have this but aren't musicians. Like how. How does that work? Because mm. the only reason, it's just like with the colors. The only reason why I know it's an A is because I was taught that that's what it's called, that pitch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is it is it a latent ability? Is it nature versus nurture sort of thing? Like, do you, because th- do you get a sensation if you hear two notes or more notes that are supposed to be in tune and one or two of them are off? Is it is it a sensation inside of yourself or is it strictly an ear thing? Like, you hear it and you're like, okay, or or is it like a spidey sense sort of thing where you're like, oh, oh god, no, that's not that's not right, you know. What's interesting about that is just getting more into jazz in the later, well, like I guess more recent part of my career. Those like off notes, you kind of you learn. It's like, oh, okay, that's the sound of a sharp eleven. Mm. It sounds weird. It's like that. It does not fit diatonically in what's going on here. Yeah. But mm. it's the that type of off sound that it is. Now you just like relate it to what it's called. Huh. So if you keep doing that, all of a sudden there's not really any wrong notes. It's just like oh, it's just that extension. There's like maybe wrong taste. Like I wouldn't have put that there. True. Yeah. Okay. But it it starts to become like not wrong sounding. Just just like mm, I wouldn't have done that. Okay. It's kind of like a retraining of your brain and just, okay, mm-hmm. then... Like, I still, I can't... Right now, I don't really understand why guitarists use flat nine chords. I think they sound bad. Mm. Like the Jimmy... I think it's a Jimi Hendrix chord. Is, is his voicing is a... That high note or something in there that's like dissonant with the root. I don't know what song it is or whatever. I just know that when I voice out a flat nine on a piano, I'm like... Nah, this ain't it. <laughs> <laughs> Just a subjective preferential thing, like Yeah, I oh, guess. I got you. I got you. Man. But as far as the sensation thing, I, I think it kind of has hat, man. You know what? It's all right. We're, we're done. It was, we're done. It was we're done a good shot. <laughs> I got a picture of it. I tried my best. Yeah, dude. Um with the sensation thing, I mean, major seven chords make me feel warm and fuzzy. I like no that. matter what instrument is playing it. I can pick that shit out in a in a cacophony of sound yeah yeah or like a major seven with a nine just like it, it has like this like reaching quality to me of like mm-hmm. yearning oh yeah you know definitely dreamy there's a anytime my, like relative pitch claim to fame if i hear a major seven chord i can be like oh that might just be the fourth degree of whatever key this song is in i, I don't it's, even want to talk to you about that you and zach the, the oh. everything coming from C. <laughs> That's a whole nother rabbit hole. Every, yeah. every everything is major, Vinny. All right, everything is is based <laughs> off of a major scale. Yeah, Vinny to, does not like this. I'm about to throw up all over this microphone. Bro. <laughs> Vinny does not like this school of thought. It's just easier, man. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Ah, I agree to disagree. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> it's it is a 
subjective take. It's it's my baby brain. Like I don't read notation that well at all. Like four bars would take me twenty minutes to get through, mm-hmm. um, and I don't even know every note of a scale that I'm playing. Like it's like shapes and stuff. Yeah, shapes and stuff. Um, like playing the guitar for so long, just knowing where notes are. Yeah, it like you know I I play by ear mainly. So as as easy as a framework can be, the better for me. Sure. So that that's mm-hmm. that's where my that's my explanation for why I choose that school of thought. But I totally understand for a man as, you know, storied and educated as yourself. Like, don't. It's your universe. Yeah. How you know it as. Yeah, exactly. It's a, like the color thing. It's. Yeah. It's, it's what you, what you see and what, like, you don't like the flat nine. I get it. <laughs> I don't like that shit either sometimes, you know. <laughs> um, I think, I think 13 chords are kind of a little um, obtuse. I've just been getting into them actually like the past like three or four days because I I learned the them changes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, the last little bit of that are 13s and I'm like I've never really explored this sound before it's kind of cool oh not the the in his main riff the 13 13 13 13, yeah that part okay based on the root note that that high note that we hear is, is a 13 yeah dude I saw your video with Mike and I, you, you reverse engineering it either by ear or seeing it done, how it's two bass parts going at the same time. Because mm-hmm. when I first heard that song, I was like, Thundercat's the best bass player of all time. Like, how do you do uh, that? How do you, how do you do that, man? <laughs> You're a magician, dude. But no, no, no. Thank you for demystifying and making me feel a little more comfortable in my abilities and myself, yeah. dude. There's a third bass part that I did actually on a, um, a synth Moog or software Moog. That's just um, boom, boom, boom. Just the. Uh, I don't know if that's that's just what I heard. Yeah. I actually tried not to look up different people's renditions because mm. a lot of people get a little fuzzy with with some of the yeah. voicings on that shit and yeah. maybe even added or miss notes that aren't should be there or shouldn't be there. Dude, I, I actually get that all the time with my students. Where um, I've told you about the app Moises, right? That I use to split tracks up. No. To get stems. No. Yeah, you um so with the students they're they're learning rock songs and stuff and you look up tabs and I'm in as a bass player first, I can immediately tell when a guitar player wrote a tab because mm. I'm like, that's the most inefficient way <clears throat> I've ever seen this played. <laughs> um that rhythm is definitely not what the bass player is doing. It can't be. Um and there's some wrong notes in here. You know, like any combination of that. So I'll use that as a source. Then I'll use this app called Moises, which you upload the audio into it and it splits it up. It's not always the best. There's some artifacts, but it's very telling. I'm like, oh, yeah. I had an inkling that that tab was wrong because mm-hmm. this is the actual bass part, more or less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And none of that stuff that was on the website is in here. Yeah. <laughs> so I've, I've just learned, and combined with the perfect pitch thing, it's just kind of like a go-to now of like, I just want to figure it out on my own. I got you. Yeah. I got you. So you, your formative years of music, I would imagine you were just playing strictly classical music? Yeah, in the orchestra. Do you have a, a favorite piece of classical music that when you think back, you're like, man, I liked playing that piece a lot? Yeah. Um, in college, I uh, went to USF, and I was in the symphony orchestra there. Goals. We played um, uh, Berlioz Symphony Fantastique. Mm-hmm. Have you listened to that before? No. I don't know the whole story, but apparently he was just like, heavy on op- uh, opioids and just wrote a symphony. 
Mm, and yes. that stuff is crazy. Crazy, crazy good? Oh, yeah. Okay. So good. Um, we also played uh, Daphnis and Chloe by the composer Ravel. Mm-hmm. So that's a cool one. You want, you want to talk about smooth, I'm, I'm assuming major sevens, but a full orchestra playing them? Mm-hmm. It was milk, dude. It was a glass of milk, the whole yes. thing. Creamy. Creamy. Um, Brahms Symphony Number no. 4 was another one of my favorites. Mm. And I, I just... Looking back and thinking of these pieces in real time now, I'm just like thinking I like them so much, be- not because of my bass parts, but just because of how like absolute the sound was. Mm, yeah. It was very big, but not like bombastic, like cannons and all this stuff. It was just like a full sound of strings and a bunch of air moving be- from horns and stuff. And I'm just like, man, that's so cool. Yeah, dude. Masterpiece. C- comparing to like, so the metal you mentioned, Lincoln Park hybrid theory. Um, some like I know you like corn a lot. Um, to newer jazz acts you like, I know you you fancy some hiatus coyote mm-hmm. um, and stuff from of that ilk. I, I imagine you like progressive metal stuff too. Yeah. Where, if you had like, there, there are reasons why you like each of those, right? There, there's are there dis- there are distinct reasons you like each of those. Yeah. Is there a distinct reason you look to orchestral music? Like, are there certain qualities of it that you like that you don't find in in other styles of music? Uh, the, I mean, pun intended, I guess, but the orchestration, really just seeing how each um, each section, the, the role that they play mm. is really interesting to me. And you can find a lot of that in non-orchestral music, too. Like um, in an orchestra, maybe the snare drum and the cellos are doing a syncopated line together, like rhythmically, it's together. And then there's first and second violins playing this long melodic line that could be like your singer, maybe, mm. and they're harmonized. Um, violas could be playing a different rhythm that that could be like your rhythm guitar. Uh, you know what I mean? No, for like sure, there's for there's sure. a lot of um, similarities there. And it's just every different genre kind of realizes those roles a little bit differently. Like everyone knows that the bass's role is usually foundational, bridging between the drums and the guitars. But reggae bass sounds completely different than progressive metal bass, but they're both doing the same thing. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. They're almost, uh, like in reggae, it's more almost an uh, extension of the percussion section. Yeah. Like, you know. Oh, and especially with like Latin stuff. Mm, Oh, yeah, dude. (laughs) Like uh, like a salsa music, dude. Like, you, you're kind of in one lane, but if that's not there, then it's not. If that's salsa not there. Music. Nobody's dancing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Foundation. Exactly. Yeah. So, in in the spirit of me not hogging the interview, uh, Carlos, did you did you have any input or any questions for Vin Man? Going from the college years, and you know, starting off with vi- violin, mm-hmm. viola. Uh, in your recent work, have you? Well, like basically, when was the last time you've maybe like you know grabbed the violin and and played it again? That's been a very long time. Long time. Yeah. Have you have you used it in in any kind of like production of not of a modern, no? not a real violin? <laughs> 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 my my technique's not up to snuff to get a a recordable sound out mm. of it. But like the muscle memory's gotta still be there. I'm yeah, sure. it's still yeah. there for all the fingerings uh, up until you know that that three octave scale I had to do, and then I, I was out. <laughs> right when Vinny cut the cord on violin, yeah, dude, that's awesome. I tried uh, cello once uh, from this one dude that I was meeting up with, 
And just like trying to hone in on like a nice consistent note with the bow is like, man, this is kind of, this is a bit weird. It's almost like, you know, out of the ordinary for me. Yeah. Um, but going into the, the bass guitar and into the kind of music that you're making now, um, kind of like into your studio work, how did you started getting into like all these nice uh, snazzy forms of like recording yourself, uh, creating content? I know when we were talking to Tucker, uh, really getting a home studio was a big thing. Yeah. And then having that freedom time during quarantine was just like, let's just mm-hmm. go straight into just making like quick tunes and like putting it online. Yeah. Uh, how did that kind of like started to stem into after um, college? It, it was actually in a dope way started before college. So I was about 14 or 15 and for Christmas one year, or actually before that, I you know those like tiny little laptop microphones that are like really skinny and long mm-hmm. that they used to have? Mm. So I would borrow my mom's laptop and use Windows Sound Recorder and that yeah. tiny little capsule I would put in front of my bass amp and just like record <laughs> ideas. Like it sounded so bad. <laughs> but I, I did this so often go. that I'm sure my parents got kind of annoyed. Like, yo, can you stop using my laptop? Here, here's a, uh, a Tascam DP01 recorder. So it was a hard disk recorder, no computers. It had eight tracks, and it had a um, a built-in CD burner, which was pretty sick. Yeah. So it had two inputs, and then you could um, you could just keep using those inputs. You just arm it on whatever tracks you want. You have eight total. So I would do that, and then just like burn my ideas to the CD, and I would use CDRW so that I could just keep keep, keep going, going. And going, yeah. And um, so I was about fourteen or fifteen when I got that, and. What's what's cool about that is there was, you know, there wasn't really, you know, back in my day, there wasn't really YouTube and stuff. So I'm just experimenting like crazy, learning how to bounce. Like if I had six tracks filled up, I'm like, dang, I want to do more. So just learning to bounce those to the remaining seven, eight, really committing. Like, okay, well, that's done. But now I got new tracks. I can keep layering. Cool. And then finding out that during the bounce, if I moved any of the uh, EQ or pan knobs, I get it wrote to the two tracks that I was recording mm. to. That was like a revelation to me. That's like automation, basic yeah. automation now Dude. in the like DAW. A physical but I was, little uh, recorder, yeah. Yeah, and so then I would take the CD out, pop it in my CD player and see like if it worked. And I was like, oh, it worked. That's awesome. <laughs> cool. So I did that for a while and then um, I came across uh, Misha Mansoor stuff with Bulb, like early, early periphery before they were a band. Right. Um, on soundclick.com. And I heard his demos and I was like, how is this level of production possible? Because he was like really proud of it coming from his apartment. Mm. And I was like, well, I live with my parents and I, I can't do this out of my bedroom. Like, do I need an apartment? Is that the, <laughs> is that the secret? <laughs> <laughs> but just doing a little bit of research, that's how I found out about audio interfaces and stuff. And I'm like, yeah. at this point, like 16 maybe. And I'm like, okay. How does all that work? So I, I, I had a cracked copy of Cubase 5. Dude, Cubase. Hey, there um, go. Careful, they'll come after you. <laughs> I mean, it was legitimate. I paid for it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a, a PreSonus audio box, the, the two-channel blue guy, and just trying to figure out how that worked because I was trying to liken it to the Tascam, and the only difference really is the Tascam had a built-in hard drive where this, like my computer is my hard drive. Yeah, it goes But the right Tascam in. also didn't have a screen or anything. So just like learning how to navigate a virtual console with the faders and stuff, it was like, it was such a rabbit hole. 
Right. So I was doing that for like three, four years. Um, during that time too, I the biggest thing that per, uh, perplexed me about Misha's stuff was like, how do these drums sound so damn good? Mm-hmm. And then I found out about Superior Drummer and like mm-hmm. drum software. So getting into drum programming and stuff like that. And that was um that was about like late high school. So then since then I've just been trying to refine that whole thing. Mm. It's kind of uh interesting because even during that time period, it almost might have felt like, man, how is music like conceptualized and put into like these great sounding albums? Cause I know I had that moment where now now at this age, I can't even remember where my brain must have been of how music is made other than like, oh, cool. I see a music video on like VH1 and it's like, oh, awesome. That is something cool about that my dad helped me with though because he was in bands and he, like the Pantera-ish band, um, they recorded an album. And so he was able to tell me like, usually do drums first, you do bass after that, guitars, vocals are last. He he told me what a, a pilot guitar track was. I remember when he was, um he was talking about just the recording process and he's like, uh, yeah, we wanted to get the singer's vocals down at a certain point, so we had the guitar player playing, but he wasn't being recorded. It was called a pilot guitar track, just so the singer, or no, it was for the drummer, so the drummer could have Can something to play along. to. Yeah. Um, so that's where I learned about that, and just like, you, you don't, you, you want to um, have audio going to other people, but not necessarily recording it so that the guitar player is now not under under fire like i need to nail this you yeah. can you can what's called overdub later you know i was like oh my god this is so cool like mm. the whole layering thing we, we can all do it for sure kind of hopping back into germany uh when you guys go over there um have you ventured out into like the music scene that's over in germany anything of of a uh, cool insight from there not really actually oh uh, we probably should um my dad has a few connections over there that we could go to to bigger shows. Like, there's this uh, really big German act called Halloween. I don't know if you've heard oh, of that. Oh, dude, I saw them at Janus when they came. Yo, um, my dad's best friend is their touring manager. Whoa. And so he, he, he grew up with those guys, too. So, like, he just knows them on a personal level. They were here. Yeah, I think yeah. I remember seeing a poster for them. Here. I got a free ticket to that show. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're telling, telling me about, about that it. story. One of, the dude at the, one of the dudes at the cafe that I work at, a uh, Colombian dude named Andres, shout out. Um, he is, like, really into, like, the power metal stuff. Mm-hmm. And I guess it has, like, a big following over in Colombia. Yeah. Um, because they do festivals over there and stuff. And he hadn't seen them in like five, six, seven years, something like that. And he knew, and he knows that I'm in, into music and I play and stuff. And he's like, yo, you have to come see Halloween with me, man. And he showed me some of the music on his phone, like, a, and I was just like, I was not, ex- I was not expecting you to like this. You yeah. Know? <laughs> like, this is not like the music you play at, at work, but okay. But I went and it was quite the production. Um, it was power metal as power metal can be. Yep. I I I dug it, you know. I I thought it was pretty pretty cool. I mean, but th- is that like European to its core? That style of of power of like metal, the power metal subgenre because it seems like it, it would come from over there. Yeah, I would say it's definitely a a European thing. Um I I don't know the roots of where it started. I'm not really big into the power symphonic metal thing. But, um, is your dad into it? I think he's into them because he knows them on a personal level. But he, I mean, I think he likes the music too. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Word gets out to 
Your Coleman coworker. Yeah, yeah actually, um, some inside baseball about that specific show. Um, maybe uh, I'll say it. It was that venue. I don't. I, I'm not going to say that the band hated it, but they there was disappointment from people because the stage wasn't big enough for the production they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And it, it's the it was the smallest venue they've played probably in years because mm. they're used to. Because they did they have the big pumpkin on yeah. stage? Yes, they did. So they usually have like pyro and all sorts of stuff, like the maybe like twice the production value of what was there, yeah, something like that. And it was um, I just remember my dad telling me like, yeah, some people were upset. Like they do not like that. <laughs> Again, not speaking for the band because I don't know how they felt, but um, just the overall vibe was like, yeah, Janice, huh? Like, okay. <laughs> no, 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 for sure. They they had the they had the pumpkin. <laughs> They had like an inflatable pumpkin around the drum set as like mm-hmm. their big centerpiece, and they had like a big um, graphic, like they played like, like a video wall, a video wall that was playing um, for each song, like a little music video of sorts, like an animated music video. Um, but yeah, they seemed like a band that would have pyro. Mm-hmm. Definitely, it would it would only add to the experience for sure. Yeah. yeah. So my dad's got that connect there. Uh, the the tour manager currently, his name is Costa, and he he grew up with my dad. Um, so, and he, I think, is still running a record label. Dang, I can't remember what it's called right now. But yeah, he's got a lot of connections over there. So, if there is a good show that's happening, I'm sure my dad would want us to go. Um, but as far as like the local scene there, I unfortunately I have no idea. Yeah, what it's looking like. Because all I can think of. Uh, I had a period of my youth where I was really into electronic music. Mm-hmm. Still am. And I've always just thought like, oh, damn, when I go to like uh, the UK or anywhere in Europe, I definitely want to check out the raves. And it's like, yeah, it's like the only thing that's <laughs> in my mm-hmm. head about it. But yeah, dude. that's pretty interesting. Berlin apparently has some pretty sick raves and right. sick DJs that come through there. That whole like Boiler Room series mm. that they have where DJs will come. Uh, it's Have you heard of that? It's called... It's called Boiler know. Room. It's been going yeah. on for. They'll have them in like a, in a crowd, or they'll have them on a boat. I've seen. Yeah, they just rent out nightclubs full of people, and like any DJ you can think of, from like Skrillex to Tiesto, Catronada, Catronada, all those guys are like they have a set that's like an hour plus, and there's a camera on them, front facing, and they're just mixing, and you get like the raw audio feed from the board, cool of what they're doing, and they mix in some crowd noise every now and then, but mm-hmm. like. I'm similarly into electronic music, like like Carlos is, and um, some of that stuff is really inventive. I've I've I, I, I've watched many a boiler room set for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But um, going back to the uh, recording, when did you start to get into n- go from recording yourself to um, s- like? Uh, making your services available for hire. That was a tough process because there is, and still now, there's always like the, am I good enough for someone else's art? Like That's that, always. That kind of thing. Because I don't, I I put a lot of pressure on myself, but also pride in making sure that this band's music or this artist's music is realized the way that they want it to be. Mm. Um, and... At first, it was definitely like a, I want it to sound like the way I want it to sound, you know, like that kind of thing. It's, mm-hmm. It needs to sound perfect to me. But then over the years, you just kind of start realizing like, nah, you just got to get good at your tools. And that way you can be 
very uh, fluent in translating what they say into how you're going to do it. Mm. That's the biggest thing. Nice. It's not it's not your sound. It's their sound. Yeah. And you just got to know everything you have, like the back of your hand, to be able to get it in a timely manner, oh, I would say. Sure. That's a great way to put it, dude, for sure. That's like, that's all it is. It's kind of like when an auto mechanic is introduced to like a customer's like, hey, my car is doing and the the steering wheels like that and well they can translate to like okay so this needs to be changed yeah the timing belt and yes they know their tools like mm-hmm. that's kind nature. of why like i would never really call myself a, a producer because i i don't really have the i kind of don't want to have a say in the creative in, in your stuff yeah. tucker is really good at that yeah he is um I like to pride myself on just having a good knowledge of Sonics and how they relate. But at the end of the day, I, I just want to be dealing with what you're putting out. If you explicitly ask me, like, what do you think we should do here? Then I'll, I'll put like a small, a very small producer hat on. Mm. But I, I'm just, I'm, I'm not really interested in that unless it like really needs it. Like, yo, this song is like eight minutes long and we haven't even gotten to the chorus yet. Mm. Like that's when it'll be like. Let's try some arrangement ideas. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That hasn't happened. But, you know, steering just, people yeah, in the yeah. right direction for sure. How about if we, you know. But yeah, I just, I really enjoy, for the longest time I enjoyed mixing. That was my favorite thing. But just over the years learning like, dang, mixing is a lot more fun if you get really good at tracking. Because then you're not just really fixing mistakes anymore. You Once you start the mix, you can immediately be creative Mm. Instead of like all this utility stuff because you didn't record it properly. Like, oh, I gotta mm. put a DSer on this and all that, all that yeah, type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The, is that I, I wrote down a question I wanted to ask. Did, do you have a mix of yours that you're like, that is the Vinny Svoboda gold standard right there? If anybody was looking to like hire me, I would point them to this because I, I Steely Dan nailed that shit. Oh, I don't know. Come um, on. Mm. You can be a little, you can be a little prideful here. Well, the, one of the mixes that I like, but I never like fully finished. It's it's a song of mine that I never released, so that's why it's kind of like weird. But I guess the thing I'm most proud of right now is the the new Brojoma EP that came out. It's yeah. called This World Remains, six tracks. Um, we recorded it up in a a cabin in North Carolina. Um, I just brought all my mics, my all my pre's and stuff and we just went for it and there were some things I could have tracked better like there I definitely know where the skeletons are in those mixes you know what I mean mm-hmm. um but I'm I'm proud of how that whole EP came out oh yeah dude tremendous is it, it okay conversely is there a mix that you hear not yours that you're not involved with of from uh all time that you say like that's that's the gold standard right there that's what everybody should shoot for oh um yeah uh big corn fan the mix on the whole untouchables album is god tier to me it is so good (laughs) all right i'm Um, saving that yep it was a fun fact one of the first 96k sample rate recordings ever Mm. whoa yeah corn like why first one yeah (laughs) yeah was it a movie yeah right (laughs) (laughs) what are we doing here big file size (laughs) yeah yeah it's i mean they were just experimenting with different um digital uh analog converters and stuff like that just to kind of hear it no okay yeah i don't think anybody can hear it but no i think it's one of those things i went to this recording seminar when morris sound studios was still morris sound owned by the two brothers and um 
I asked them about that. I was like, what's the deal with these high sample rates? And they're like, well, you want to start with something as good as you can get it because we all know it's inevitably going to get crushed by whatever compression, YouTube, MP3s, like whatever. Why don't you just start with the best? And I know there is some science from there too with like um, how plugins will uh, just handle higher frequency. Things that we don't hear, but the way it gets doubled down into our hearing range can be weird with aliasing and stuff if your sample rate's not too high. Yeah. But I mean, for the most part, 44.1 is is good, but I record at 48. Mm, there we go. In in the spirit of the, the Morris sound... Uh, advice um or sure yeah um but it's mostly because i think that that's the uh standard if you're putting it to video mm. there's i think there's a frame rate thing there too 24 frames per second 48 kilohertz i i don't know for sure but that's just what my audio interface is locked at <laughs> I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't changed okay. it that's the truth cool it's cool. like a unified <laughs> path just to to make it work for video yeah okay see what you mean when it came to the rojoma ep at the cabin i want to know a little bit about this um did you guys i'm sure you embraced the situation of the environment of the room when you brought in your microphones and the pre's uh mm -hmm. how did that whole experience came about uh it was cool so we walked in it was an airbnb so we we basically saw a spot that was like all right let's take all this furniture out and this will be the, the live room um and then one of the bedrooms was tucked away enough where we just put the guitar cab in there for isolation. Um, and then we just ran a cable out for the guitar player to, you know, be in the same room with us. We all recorded in the same room together. Mm. Um, and then we overdubbed vocals later. Um, and there was this big loft area. So there was a open space and then you go up the stairs and there's a loft that's overlooking downstairs. So I was like, that's room Ooh, mic central right there. I don't nice. need these big boom stands. I just put them up there, you know? Yeah. So I ran a couple room mics up there. Um, drums mostly, they were they were close mic'd, um, and then just the the room mics there. Um, keyboard was DI, I was DI. So really, the only live mics were the uh, the tracking vocal for all of us. It was a SM7B. Um, I put two mics and a DI on the uh, guitar, and yeah, I think that's everything. It you know sort of a business minded marketing minded wouldn't it be a sweet ass business idea to like just rent Airbnbs all across the world and cut EPs in them like you find an artist who's like I'm trying to make an EP and then you know you bring whatever personnel they need you the engineer comes sets everything up, works with the room. You have a person who's shooting video, catching the whole BTS footage. Yeah. I, I wish we had that when we were up there. Come to my pad. Exactly, exactly. I think that's what rappers do. They'll like go to hotel rooms, set up the soap, the mattresses up, yeah. and create a vocal booth. <laughs> but it's on, on like a bigger scale, and like that's cross promotion for that specific Airbnb too. Like, you, like they would probably benefit to be like, this is the place where. You know, friggin' Rojo was EP was cut, you know, or, or, yeah. or insert artist name here. <laughs> My know? living room is in that video. Man, yeah. Unfortunately, I feel like if you open the floodgates like that, like, I feel like bands would just take advantage of it and it would be at a detriment to the Airbnb owners. I hate to be pessimistic like yeah. that, but no, they, I can see these houses like trash getting the trashed. Yeah, yeah, it crosses the line into like, oh, it's a party. That's why, exactly. I'm, that's why I'm saying if it's, if it's a 
business model that you have put a name on an LLC and it's you showing up with the gear and a specific video videographer and bands that you have vetted yourself that you're oh, like, sure. Oh, yeah. these guys aren't addicted to Coke and like ordering <laughs> strippers and throwing pizza boxes all over the place. This, this would be like a civil recording environment, you know, like a, were you at the cabin? With the- <laughs> <laughs> hey, I saw what I saw and I'm not going to say it on the podcast. All right. But yeah, dude, did, how, how quickly did it go from, um, troubleshooting, finding out the environment and what, how, what things would work to we're recording. It was pretty, it was pretty quick, mostly because the, the DI instruments that you don't have, you don't have to worry about those, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, that's just kind of how I've always recorded. It's always been in less than ideal situations. So relying a lot on close mics, um, already thinking of the workflow of how are we going to get ambience in the box, unfortunately, but, but still having the room mics there in, in case we want to use them. Um, yeah, it was, it, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. Okay. Would it, would a dream Vinny Svoboda life situation be where you were doing this, uh, that specifically? more full-time like going mm. about to artists and being like all right what mics do i need for this what how, how are we going to do this how are we going to make again the vision of the artist come out through the tracking mixing mastering yeah i, I think a, a healthy amount of that could be cool i i think i've learned that i wouldn't want to do it full-time and i think some of that stems from i don't want to be a producer and mm. there's a a lot of local talent around here that could benefit a producer, you know, and I'm not really that guy. So if, if I am in the situation where I'm recording you and um, the artist feels like, man, there's something missing. Like, I, I just don't think I'm the guy to give you those answers. Um, Would you pair with a producer? Uh, all day. Okay. I, I would love to be, I would, love to the, I would love the producer to just be like, um, here's the mics you're going to use and here's how you're going to do it. I just want you recording. I would love that. Yeah. All right. Press record. Just tell me what to do. And I mean, I would like to mix it too, but <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Bro, let's team up. Let's, 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 take, right. let's take the Tampa Bay area by storm. Cause I love the production and like me and, and Carlos have co-produced a few artists in here mm-hmm. and I, I love the creative aspect. Um, you know, Carlos, and you are more well versed on the technical side of like this mic has, uh, you know, a roll off at this. You know, I'm not all couple there. of nerds, yeah, good old dorks, but like, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm I'm I I I am still interested in learning those things, but I do like the all right. This is how the story of the song is unfolding. Yeah, maybe we should add some strings here on the like the second chorus. You definitely have bigger. that a lot. Like I like I've noticed. I love that shit. Like, that's <laughs> my jam. You know. Um, but yeah, dude. So if you were just like in a multi-million dollar estate mixing and mastering tracks. Oh, yep. That's it. And I mean, I know you love playing live too, which I mean, I wanted to ask you or orchestra, orchestral playing, going to school or orchestral arts in, Mm -hmm. in that realm. Yep. Got a bachelor's in, um, uh, Double bass performance. When did it lapse into Rojoma and Hill Cinema? Uh, it was kind of in between. So um, I think Tucker mentioned this when he was on the podcast. The way I met him was joining the band Displace. Displace. Yeah. 
And so that's where I got a good amount of live playing. I, I was in bands before then, um, like in high school and stuff. But the uh, the orchestra stuff and the kind of like getting into the scene were kind of happening at the same time. Mm. Heck yeah. Oh, at the same time. And how did that, I mean, there's obvious, but how, how did that differ? Like, did you take, with, with orchestral performance, I imagine there's a lot of nitty gritty attention to detail, nuanced tweaks you're making to your game. Yeah. Um, did you bring that into the more, I don't want to say casual, but professional craftsman out and about playing like how much of that rolled over i would say at first none of it because it was kind of a playing in displaced which was a jam band it was super relieving to not have your entire part written out because that's you know orchestra there's no improv not a lick there's it's all written out and um none at all there's these things called cadenzas which usually the higher range instruments will have where there's maybe like the first chair cellist has a a cadenza in the middle of this piece where they can play whatever they want but even then it's probably written out you know maybe they workshopped it with their professor oh yeah 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 yeah. so that you could practice something that is consistent every time gotcha so going into the the jam band scene it's like no holds barred and i i will be the first to admit that when i first started doing that i I definitely overplayed as a bass player. Like I was not fulfilling the role. There was <laughs> there was actually one uh, band meeting we had where everyone talked about like the roles that they play, and I totally took that as like y'all are just bringing this up to tell me to stop. Is playing. intervention? <laughs> <laughs> like, y'all are y'all are too sweet. I, uh, I read you loud and clear. Yeah, <laughs> they're all seated facing you, like <laughs> in a circle, in a circle, in a half circle around video. Now, I mean, that's I feel like that's anybody's formative years of playing out, though. No matter what instrument, yes. like you, mm-hmm. you have to get your ya yas out before you can really reel it in and be like, oh wait, I'm supposed to, as Tucker would say, like serve this role in this song yeah and i that's that's relieving to me too like if i'm in a band where there's like pre-written parts and i have to learn them it's like oh okay cool like mm-hmm. you know add a little flair here and there but like the pressure's off in that in that setting you know it goes so far too because like you know we both playing christopher james and um i don't even know at this point if i'm <clears throat> close to the parts that are on the record I feel like I kind of am, but um, the songwriting on that album, Kindest Never Quits, is just, uh, everyone's roles are just so pristinely in their spot that all the parts individually are, are relatively easy to play, mm-hmm. but when it all comes together, it's like, it's kind of like an orchestra. It's like, dang, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Everyone just stays in their lane, and if you just do the right job, it's going to sound great. Yeah. A musical megazord. Just do your job. Yeah, for sure. That's a lot of ways to put it. Uh, when it comes to all these bands, and I've seen you a few times too with like Rock the Park with Christopher James mm-hmm. and all these gigs, how going into the scope of like time management and just like your strategy here, um, do you ever come to points where it's like almost like there's just too much? And if there is points like that, uh, how do you kind of like... Uh, put into steady pace uh, songs that you have to learn for the week before, you know, this gig's coming up 
or anything that you have uh, at the end of the week, uh, and and also with like some mixing and recording. Mm-hmm. It, it's definitely a, a time management thing. Um, one thing that's maybe a little bit of a humble brag is the perfect pitch helps out so much with that stuff, where it's not as kind of time crunchy as it would be otherwise, because I can just listen to the song. And especially with Rojoma stuff, because it's a little bit more jammy. There's maybe like three or four unique sections. So it's like, oh, okay, this goes from A to F, D to G. Gotcha, okay, cool, what's the next section? And so I'll write notes for myself, and it'll often just be like letters. not No chord qualities or anything, because I'm a bass player. I don't care about chords. Screw them. <laughs> That's a joke. Throw I, it I, away. I love chords. <laughs> Except flat nines. Um, yeah, just like writing out charts. Um, sometimes it does get overwhelming, for sure. Um, I tend to feel that the most when there's like heavy anthill stuff coming up because that music doesn't really, it's not like riding a bike. If you haven't, if we haven't played a show in a while, I mean, we have rehearsals cause we all know that it's like, that stuff is kind of hard. Oh yeah. Dude. We gotta, we gotta touch this up mm. before we, uh, before we play this out live. So if there's like a lot of important stuff like that, um, of songs that we've already written and played before, but then we're putting on new songs on top of that, that can be kind of like, oh, God. Oh. Right, switching up set list and mm-hmm. the order. Who's the main writer in that group? Because that's some black belt level shit you guys are playing. <laughs> that's like third degree black belt level music. Um, It's it's semi-equal, but it it's mostly Justino and Mark. Okay, yeah. They, they like create the foundation. Exactly, we all pitch in. Mm-hmm. But I would, I would, they're, they're the guys. Yeah, dude. Cause I, I don't know if you've heard that, that shit, dude, but I've been to like one of your shows. Nasty. There's like many moments where I was like, Ooh, like, I don't, I, it might take me a while to do that. You know, like, <laughs> like very, very crazy stuff. Like, yeah, man. I'm so I, <clears throat> I joined that band cause they, um, they had a bass player. His name is Juan Santana. He's still local around here. Killer bass player. Have you seen this guy? Nope. He's so good. Um, but he's a family man, and uh, he wanted to. I guess he wanted to like play weddings and stuff, like make real money, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which I get. Fair. Fair. Um, and so it was like two weeks before an Ant Hill gig um, show. It was a uh, Sawani. Um, Sawani Halloween. It wasn't Halloween. It was uh, the one that's uh, it's in April. I think it's called a uh, re- reunion, or something like that. Um, it was a pretty big, pretty big show, and it's my first show with them. And I had two weeks to learn all this material. And how how, how long time wise were we talking? Like an hour? Yeah, I think it was about an hour set, something okay. like that. And um, all of the formative years of reading and stuff really came to a head here because Mark gave me charts, like written out notation for everything. Because the music kind of requires that. There's a lot of time signature changes, yeah. key changes. I think the patient all over the place. That's yeah. beautiful. And I was like, it, it was kind of in that moment that I'm like, man, I am, I'm really glad that I took that strings class in fifth grade because <laughs> like it all kind of led up to this because um, it made it easier to learn the songs. And I'm not really sure. I know there's freaks out there that can learn complex stuff by ear, but with Ant Hill stuff, I, just, I can't do it. Like I need, I need charts written out. Unless I wrote the part myself, obviously. Yeah, for sure. No, that's that's one that's that's in one way that I kind of kick myself that I didn't take more time to learn notation and like reading actual sheet music because I always have this like sort of debate in my mind like is it better to 
if somebody shows up to you and like says like play this or like plays a saxophone like play this and you can pick it up by ear and not have to worry about the notation or is it better for somebody to plop down music in front of you and be like this is what you're playing and you can just sort of like scan it and, mm-hmm. and be ready to go like I'm, there's like a dilemma in my mind maybe that's just a cope on my end who knows but i think there is a um sorry my watch is just going crazy i think there is uh i think it depends on what music we're talking about type, type of music we're talking about so i run into this a lot at school of rock where i teach where um like i'm why why would you read the sheet music for smells like teen spirit unnecessary it's unnecessary and so rarely do we play songs that really require it um for bass at least i have a whole different view on um piano parts because that's something that you kind of need to get the right voicings for it like for for bass there's really only two or three ways to play a bass line if you have a set of notes there's really only one way to play it if you want to be efficient but there's mm. a couple spots where you can play it. Sure, well, fine, whatever. With piano, I mean, the more the more dense your chords are, the more inversions you have. So it's mm. and that really can change how the part sounds. So you can't really just you could just chunk by with just reading the chords and just doing like root voicings for everything, but it's gonna it's not gonna sound like the song. No, that's not the <laughs> piano part. Yeah, like um, uh, what's the uh, what's the Beatles song? I can't remember it now. It has piano in it. Yeah, Beatles. Um, I don't know. It's like it's like a descending thing that uh, the voicings are. Oh, um, uh, you could. Uh, this isn't the song I was thinking of, but like, while my guitar gently weeps. Oh. Mm-hmm. There's if you were to play the voicings of it to sound like the song, it, you'd, there'd be inversions all over the place. So I guess what I'm saying is, long story short, I heavily rely on trying to teach notation and also use it with my keyboard students given the song that we're playing. Like, I just had to teach a student uh, what a fool believes. Ooh, Do we, brother? need she music for that. And I needed it for myself. I'm like, I, there's no way I'm going to learn this by ear because I'm going to pull my hair out. Not for sure. So. Yeah, the best I got with that, I I, I um, transcribed it to guitar, and the best I got was that it was just like matching chord qualities. Because mm-hmm. it can't. Those voicings are really kind of weird. And yeah. strictly written for piano. Yeah, and there's a lot of like inner movement too that you would kind of miss out on if you were just going by the triads or whatever definitely so definitely so it, it depends on the instrument i i I, th- I don't think that not reading sheet music makes you a lesser musician by any means mm. well thank you the, uh, <laughs> it's a hybrid that a side note that minute by minute album kind of rips that that uh what a fool believes is on mm-hmm. and, and the song minute by minute too oh man such a good album um and yeah how how fulfilling is teaching for you? You've done it like for as long as I've known you and for as long as anybody that I know who knows you has known you. Uh, it's been about four years and um, I was very reluctant to start it. Um, why? I'm I'm self-taught on electric bass. So I had this um, kind of like heavy imposter syndrome of, I don't know if my technique's proper. Like, why am I going to? Like teach these kids what I'm doing when it could be completely wrong. Yeah, um, I get it. And then the the keys and drums actually came because like the school had just opened and I I knew that I wasn't my paychecks were going to be so small. So I was like, uh, I also teach keys and drums. 
<laughs> like yeah. just to get more just, students, just you know. That in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which may be a better keyboard player because when I said that, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I barely knew my inversions. Couple you know? long nights on the on the keys. Yeah, exactly. Some shit out. Um, I it's it's kind of a tough question for me to answer because, at least with the students that I have, there's some true gems in there. Where yeah. like they practice, they love music. And then there's some students that are just like, I'm kind of babysitting. Mm-hmm. And that's, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it's like the German in me, but it's, it like takes everything in me to just like put up with it. I yeah. guess. It's like, why are you here? You know, our school is, it's not that cheap either. And Have you seen a student where damn. they had potential and it was like being squandered? Like um, they had an aptitude that you were like, dude, just sit down. 30 minutes a day get like help work with me man like yeah yeah i can think of a couple kids and the i wouldn't use the word squandered though because like w- with the age that they were at these kids i'm thinking of are also really into sports so it's like and they're like really into it like that's kind of the time wasting thing i'm talking about they'll mm. come in and talk about like plays that they drilled during uh practice during a, a skir- skirmish is that the word yeah football yeah and one half of my brain is like, come on, man. Like, did you practice what we talked about last week? Yeah, but then sure. the other half of me is like, you're really into this. That's actually really dope. Yeah. yeah. You, have a, you have a passion for this. You can't knock it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Especially sure. at, a young, at a young age. Yeah, you like you, you sports, care about something. That's, that's kind of the biggest takeaway that I've gotten from teaching is like, there's, there's some kids out there that don't care about right (laughs) and it seems like it's only kind of gotten worse since you and i were kids you know yeah i mean like because like you saw probably new shiftless kids in your time in your formative years i know we all have like because it just just didn't do shit just kind of like do nothing ass kids you know yeah like (laughs) (laughs) like just didn't really have do nothing (laughs) they didn't really have to do nothing (laughs) just didn't have anything to do like didn't like perk up to anything and just like you know consumed but it's nice because like i always i i've taught a little bit music same imposter syndrome thing i run into too where it's like you know who am i to teach some kid Mm -hmm. anything dude like (laughs) come on who you talking to but like i have seen glimmers of like when a kid when it snaps that's the dopest part that's that's what everybody says who teaches like that's that's the coolest part when a kid's like oh man I yeah. got it. Like I had a student basically screaming just today in the lesson room because she's about to audition for our house band, which is like the, we have a bunch of different programs where the kids can come in um, and they, on their respective instruments, they all are learning the same song. They come together and they're, they're a band, right? But house band is a little bit like a upper echelon where you have to only the best of the best get in there. Mm-hmm. And so she's uh, auditioning for bass, and she's doing um, Dark Necessities by Red Hot Chili Peppers. That's a good song. Big old slap part, slap and pop in the the verses. And she was having trouble getting his ghost notes in there that Flea does. And so I broke it down just rhythmically. I'm like, hey, listen, just put your left hand over all the strings and just go thumb, pop, thumb, pop, just like eighth notes, one and two and three and four and. Then after a while, let's just put pressure on the C up here. And uh, okay, that's where that pop is. And then we just kept adding in notes. And once she got the whole riff, it was screaming. 
She's like, I did it. Nice. I'm like, yes. Yeah. Cool. You just got to, it's, it's just, you're playing drums for a second. Yeah. You know, you just have notes there too. That's so cool, man. Oh. So it's like moments like that, that, that keep me doing it for sure. Yeah, for sure, man. It's, it, and it's good that you keep your uh, Miss Price, your inner Miss Price from coming out, you know, be snapping on these kids. That's, that's kind of the thing. It's like, it's, I kind of think it's a little bit political because Oh man, this might sound bad, but since we are kind of an expensive school, that means that the parents got some money, right? Mm -hmm. And the last thing they want to hear is that your kid sucks, mm. you know? Mm. It's like, it's my job to make them not suck. And it's like, ah, there's a, there's a handshake that we got to make here. It takes two to tango, baby. Yeah, you got to make sure that they're practicing because once they leave this room, I have no control over what they do. Right. Yeah. And if they keep coming back and we're doing the same thing, it's like, well my son or daughter hasn't been making any progress. I'm doing everything I can. Yeah. So I think that's happening more often in um, communities with a little bit more wealth. And that's kind of a hard, it's like if I get really harsh with the kid, then they'll get discouraged and, or parents will be upset. They'll leave the school. And now mm. I'm a quote unquote bad teacher. So Whereas wow. in public school, like with Miss Price, man, I'm just, I just, I have to be here. Like, yeah. I, I, yeah. Can't, I can't leave. Ain't no way out of this one. So yeah, in one, in one sense, like if you get a good group of kids in, in a middle school or high school band or orchestra, like a teacher can kind of rail into them. And hopefully if they stick with this music thing, they'll, they'll learn to respect why they did that. Mm. It's like, dang, they, they were really hard on me, but I'm glad they, that they did. Cause I got a good head on my shoulders about this and I'm, I'm you weren't letting me get willy nilly about it. And I stayed focused. Whereas like someone in my position teaching one-on-one, -on -one, I could do that, but it's a choice that I'll make. And I, it really kind of depends on the kid's demeanor and just going back to like the, nobody's really passionate about anything. I just feel like there's a, a very thin line where if you, if you're a little bit too harsh, they'll just hate it. No, for sure. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want them to bemoan coming to see you once yeah. a week. You know what? And uh, yeah, and kids, it's a guessing game. I feel as a parent to be like, all right, let's try music school. You mm -hmm. know? Which I take that into account too. Like if the kid's not really into it, I'm thinking like, okay, I mean they still got time to find something that they're into. Yeah. So that kind of I curtail my ex expectations back. So you, you've kind of acquired a, a utilitarian look at the education of children where you're like, you know, <laughs> what's good for you is good for me, brother. Like if you like playing rugby. Do yeah. It. There's this one, one kid that, um, he's a keyboard student and he just comes in with, um, I want to learn this song. And I, I can't remember any of the artists right now, but it's, uh, in fear of, of sounding like a boomer. It's just like the mumbliest rap. And there's like, you want to learn those songs? It's like sampled beats. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, this is where the perfect pitch comes in. I'm like, I'm down, dude. I got you. We can do this. We can learn this one bar piano loop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then, then I take that time where I'm like, all right, well, we got these notes. Um, what key is this in? Can you tell me? So like we, we like, I shove it in there. You put you know? education yeah. in there. Yeah. Or like, let, you know, let's try this fingering. It's a little bit more efficient mm. just for this. If we're, if we're going to be doing this, if you want to play this song four minutes straight, this, the same part over and over 
it was obviously sequenced, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. But if you're really into it and you just want to play the whole thing, then let's do this fingering and you'll be good to go. So I, I, I find ways to sneak it in there, even in songs that you would not expect any sort of musical education to come out of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You could like you could like reharm it too, maybe. I've messed with that a little bit yeah, with cool. the students. Yeah. Like I, I don't even Sick. tell them. I'm just like, let's just try these bass things. <laughs> that's like that's like all for that's, me. That's <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Oh, dude. Well, I wish I had you as a music teacher when I was a kid, man. I I didn't have any music teachers uh, besides like public school, but yeah, dude. It seems like you really care for the betterment and education of the kids that you work with so that's yeah i just kind of see it as like if we're in the room together or the our lessons are 45 minutes it's like if we're here together let's let's learn something you know yeah. and um i had a friend a while ago that was because i was i was telling her i was like man i, I kind of think i'm maybe overworking these kids with like what i'm telling them and maybe i'm telling them too soon because like I'll, I'll drop circle of fits on a 10 year old i don't care because my thought process is like you're young enough to know that like, you're young enough to not be scared of a key that has five sharps in it because you don't know that it's hard. You just know that it's a thing. Yeah. Really? It's only green because somebody told you it was green. Hey, there we go. Yeah. yeah. So I was I was talking with her about that, and she's like, you know what? Like, one of my math teachers back in middle school was dropping some, like, high-level calculus for some reason, and I was so confused about it, but she's a um, she went on to be a... Um, uh, get a degree in biochemical something like something crazy. Yeah, and she recalled back to that super complicated thing, little nugget that was dropped, and it, and it helped her understand. So, I I don't know exactly how it happened, but she was like, "You're probably doing this to these kids, and they'll like realize maybe they're they're not into music now. Maybe they get into it later. They see five sharps, and they're like, oh, when I was ten, I learned that that's B major.' Yeah, <laughs> they have a that's so Raven moment where they're like, yeah. oh shit." <laughs> yeah dude yeah so great. i, I kind of hope for that you know and I, I i try to look for the glazed look over their eyes and if i if i see that i reel it back a little bit but got you got you got mm-hmm. you yeah that's probably really good at that at this point you know <laughs> four years in um, yeah well yeah dude i think it's about time to pull the station pull the train back into the station so to speak all right um dude Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Blessing us with your with your time and care. Um, we'd love to have you back in the future if you're open to it. Sure. Yeah. Um, we'd like to put in the intro and outro uh, music by the person we're talking to. If they are a musician, uh, would you be open to that? Yeah. Just sending over like a wave um, to me or Carlos, and we can chop it in. Carlos can. Put it in the intro and outro, and yeah, I'll get a little exposure for as you. As it Anna. slowly fades in as we're exactly okay. going into the stage. Yeah, I'll probably send like just some audio from like um Instagram video or something. Sick, sick. cool. Um, Love wh- it. Where can we find you, Vinny? Um, at Vinny S Base on uh, Instagram. Um, Vinny Svoboda Music on Facebook. Um, Vinny Svoboda Music on YouTube. I need to like. T- take more time and like work on that youtube channel <laughs> yeah it's all good it's all good it's it's quite the we'll throw the links on on the description of this yeah for but sure. yeah like a little um little easter egg uh about the instagram handle Vinny s base is the s possessive for me like it's my base or Please. is it a short form for my last name ah Vinny's two for one Vinny. damn dude yeah man double entendre 
I mean, I, I actually don't know. Quadruple so. entendre, bro. That's that sick. is like a good domain name. Like just Vinny's base. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Vinny's too. My okay. website. Uh, yeah. Most importantly. So I got to uh, update that, too. Yeah. Uh, any shows he has coming up, you will hear about on one of his many social media platforms. Vinny, I'm trying to ask this of every guest as we close the show. Is there is there a word of wisdom, a blessing you could give to our audience, um, uh, young or old, any age, any background, uh, life advice, music advice, whatever you feel. Some final words. Ooh. Um, don't take yourself too seriously. Live one day at a time. And take deep breaths. Hell yeah. You heard it here <laughs> first, folks. Take deep breaths. Don't forget to breathe. Oh, uh, drink water. Oh, drink lots and lots of water and do your French press the night before and put put it in the refrigerator so you have co- cold brew, authentic cold <laughs> brew in the morning. I am yeah. definitely stealing that. Drink it dark. <laughs> oh, uh, tip with that. Don't press it. Just press it in the morning. Oh, okay. You could maybe press it at night, but you got to wait. Yeah, fair. Fair. Yeah, no. Um, press it in the morning. Um, well, with that... I've been your host, Cameron Dorsey, my co-host, Carlos Reyes, the lovely Vinny Svoboda. This is the Blank Sutra Podcast, everybody. You have a lovely evening. Good night.